Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Why Show, where it's my job to have a wide-ranging conversation with a guest to uncover their unconventional life paths. And I do that by delving into their passions, purpose, and philosophy of life. Today's guest is Kevin Honeycutt, and we had a really interesting conversation. Kevin talks about being humble, under-promising, and over-delivering, the fear of failure, and many other very interesting topics. So stay tuned, and I hope you guys enjoy this as much as I did. Kevin, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. So I'm really excited today to have Kevin Honeycutt on the show. And before we get started, I'm going to introduce him. He has done some really different things in his life. And I think he, you guys are really going to enjoy this. So Kevin Honeycutt is a keynote speaker with worldwide reach. Every year he presents to over 100,000 educators, entrepreneurs, business people, and students. He's a former art teacher, musician, school board member, and published author. Kevin is an Apple Distinguished Educator who also received the Making It Happen Award for his tech leadership in the classroom. He has over 60,000 followers on Twitter, over 1,700,000 views on his YouTube channel, and over 11,000 users on his Art Snacks network. He presents on stage on average 100 days a year, and he also has a TED Talk in 2015. And then I'm going to end with a way that Kevin refers to himself as the guy that replaces the big names that had to cancel and surprises everyone by being amazing. So I think that's really creative and that's a great way to actually introduce you to um, the audience. So Kevin, again, thank you so much for being here. And let me first start by asking you a little bit more about where you grew up and how your upbringing was. Okay. Well, let's see. How do I do that in a short way? I went to school in over 20 states in the U.S. Um, my father was an alcoholic and a criminal. And so whenever the law was catching on to dad, we moved quickly. We called that in my family the midnight run. That meant pack. We got to get out of here in an hour. Usually we could be out of a house in an hour, half an hour sometimes, and on the road again. So I grew up on the road everywhere. So you learn a lot when you move a lot. Uh, you learn survival skills. You learn communication skills. You learn to make the five-minute friend. You learn how not to be in a fight on day one. Um, you learn to communicate, in short, I guess. Um, and so I did that. Um, and I really tuned my ear to dialects. I can do almost any dialect that I hear um, because that was part of survival living in southern states and northern states and California and Texas and you know everywhere um, so I, I, I like to think I can chameleonize dialect and not just that but chameleonize culture so that's a good thing actually to tune to the room that you're in is a good sales skill is a good survival skill is a good everything skill you know communication is important so I think I benefited from that. Um, and I've always been that person that instead of thinking of all the ways that was terrible, that childhood, I thought of all the ways it was beneficial. 
I've just always had a very positive outlook on what's what I can do with my life. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. I was actually reading uh, recently the book by Trevor Noah, Born a Crime. For everyone listening, I've been really enjoying the book. I think he talks a lot about how different accents actually have a big importance and like play a big role in making people feel like you're part of their own culture, right? So he was born in South Africa and he had a, a white father and a black mother. And so he would constantly be not only one uh, race, right? It wasn't like too simple, right? So by knowing how to have accents for uh, black people and white people and also the different dialects, in South Africa, he was able to navigate his childhood in a much better way. So I, I certainly recommend the book a lot. I love Trevor. Kevin, since we're talking about, you know, the name of the, the show, the name of the podcast is The Why Show. I want to ask you what your why is. So in other words, what makes you keep moving forward? You know, that's changed a lot. You're a young Jedi. Um, I would say Padawan learner and I'm Yoda. And I'm still going um, because at this point in my life, I like to help young Padawan learners find the force, find their way. Um, I've learned a lot in my time and all the miles on this planet. And I think there's a lot that I can share. Uh, I try to stay current. I, I speak a lot at conferences and education conferences. I do a lot with, with STEM and STEAM, robotics, programming. I design things like, like this guitar. Oh, wow. That is a really cool guitar for people who are listening. That's like, there's all different parts of the guitar that you can see. So it's actually almost like open, right? So really, really cool. It's a steampunk style guitar. Steampunk is a very interesting. Are you familiar with steampunk, Steph? I'm not actually. Okay, so you need to Google this. This is important. Uh, this is a Jedi skill. This would be like me telling you about a lightsaber and you haven't tried it yet. You need to Google. So steampunk is a kind of art or a kind of fashion or style that pretends that if we never went past the technology of steam, what would current life look like? So steampunk. So on the guitar, and I just use it as a metaphor, you know, there's all these gears. There's these radio vacuum tubes that light up when I plug it in. These are sousaphone knobs, all recycled machinery, antique watches, a VU meter, um, you know, these little things here, this thing floats out here and has these cylinders. So if you think about that, that, that combination of the aesthetic of steam, and it's stuff like you would see in the movie, The Wild Wild West. There are lots of movies where you might come in contact with that style and not know what it was called. But you can go to conferences and, and you can go to events where people dress in steampunk style. I'll show you the steampunk hat that goes with it. Um, and you'll probably recognize this style when you see it, right? So when that's on you. Oh, wow. That is a very different hat. <laughs> I, I'm sure if you have any pictures, I'll love to add those, those, the links I'll give you pictures. a link and I'll put a Perfect. whole gallery so, on the So back. that people can, can see what we're, what I'm seeing right now, which is really well, what cool. What we'll do is we'll, um, I'll make a, I'll make a gallery and I'll give you a link. And so people can see that. Um, now there's something interesting. I don't just like steampunk because I like steampunk. Steampunk is two things at the same time. It's past and present, uh, converging. 
And so when you're standing in front of an audience, you're standing, I'm standing in front of 60 year olds, 70 year olds, 20 year olds, 30 year olds. And I've got to be able to talk across all of those, all of those life experiences. So to me, I have to be versed in the past and the future at the same time. I call this tradigital, tradigital approach. It's traditional and digital at the same time, right? And I think that's that's fun, right? Because I think a kid, a person your age that has read books, read novels, and has a, a vast understanding of the past, World War One, World War Two, all the way back to Rome, you know, it, man, you have an advantage in a room full of millennials who only know recent years. They don't have that sort of grounding and all that because think of where you come from and you combine your life experience with the life experience of people who went before. So while some people would find that boring, I think the only way we're going to save this world and make it better is if we, we make it better. We learn from the mistakes of the past and we build a future that works for everybody. So anyway, I, I, you're saying that what, what's my why? I think motivating people to keep going, to keep learning, to keep evolving, to keep growing, adding things to their to, to what they know, and to keep evolving so this world gets better. Um, that's kind of it, right? So I spend my time. I'm a very creative person. I'm also I have ADHD and dyslexia, and um, I don't think that bothers me at all. I think my ADHD is my superpower. Uh, you know, I think I can monitor many channels at the same time. And uh, anyway, so building, making, doing, and helping other people do the same thing, kind of building, it's fun. It's a gets me up in the morning and, and it keeps me excited about living. That's awesome. Uh, what do you think that makes you such an inspirational person? You've had like hundreds of talks by now and people keep booking you for their, to be their keynote speaker and to, to be in their conferences. Why do you think you have such an inspirational character? Let me give you some, some things that I tell people. I think you have to under-promise and over-deliver. I walk out on stage and I don't look like I have a PhD. I don't look like, you know, Sir Ken Robinson. I don't look, I look like some guy from the trailer park. Um, and then when I start talking, people go, oh, and so they're surprised. They're also surprised that I came up the way I did with an alcoholic, dangerous father and was in foster homes and everything in the world says I should have failed. And I didn't. I just happened to not because I won't fail. I won't. I, I, I work hard. I think all the time. My brain won't shut off. I solve problems when other people give up. And I, I think I can make more like me. And when I work with kids, you will not believe. In my time as a teacher, 13 years teaching art, I worked with some of the toughest kids uh, who were headed the same way I should have been headed. And I got them headed in a different direction. I showed them what you could do. And I wrote a book called Midnight Run. And a lot of times kids will read that book and then I'll talk to them or I'll, they'll find me and I'll, I'll try to inspire them to write a book of their own. So um, I don't know. I think I tell the truth. I think... I use emotion. I don't just talk like some want, 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 you know, I'm an expert. Shut up and listen to me. I, I surprise audiences. If you watch my, and that's a TEDx talk, by the way, that I did in California. Um, but I've done thousands of talks on stage, you know, thousands and talked to over a million people live. And uh, I think the most important thing is people have to know two things for you to be a successful speaker that you like them 
and that you are like them. Without those two things, the audience doesn't care who you are. The person who hired you loves you. Obviously, they hired you. But the people in the audience are sitting there hoping to God you don't suck. That's what they're hoping. I hope this guy doesn't suck because I got to sit here for an hour or my boss will notice I left. So when you turn out to be entertaining and interesting and they laugh and they cry and they go, good gosh, this was actually – when the very end comes, I want my audience to say, oh, my God, it's over already. And if they say that, you did a great job. So I do a whole thing uh, called Launch Me. I train speakers, especially now. Um, and you know, a good trainer can make twelve hundred dollars a day, but an amazing speaker can make fifty thousand dollars an hour. There's a difference. There's a difference between that. Now I don't do that Cadillac Lexus. I, I'm, I live in a in a different place that keeps me getting hired all the time, and I, where I can surprise people and not cost a fortune. But I do okay. And it's because I've learned a few things that make me not just a talker, but an infotainer, something like that. You know, I had a boss uh, in my first internship who founded this nonprofit, and he has been doing some life-changing and very impactful work in the Brazilian favelas. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that for the first time when I went there and I saw, you know, the, the situation in the Brazilian favelas and something that really made me, you know, reflect was that a lot of those kids, they were very smart, not like book smart. They were like more like street smart because they didn't have like the proper books. Right. But they were very smart. I could certainly see their potential, you know, the way they played, the way they interacted, the question, they a- the questions they asked. And something that I, that I noticed, noticed was that most of them, they didn't know how to dream. And what I mean by that is they didn't have like a role model. They didn't have someone to like look up to that would make them be like, oh, I really want to be like that person. I really want to like achieve that in life. So I was curious to know if there was anyone in your life that served you as your role model or someone that inspired you to to be where you are today. Lots, lots. And a lot of this is in my book too. And by the way, if you go to kevinhoneycutt.org, you can download my book for free. So I'm not trying to sell you something here or any of your listeners, um, but there's, there's chapters that answer your question. But let me let me try to do that the best I can here. There were many teachers and they weren't always teachers. Uh, who I ran into in all those travels all over the country, usually arts teachers or band teachers or choir teachers or art arts. It was always the arts, um, sometimes math, but not not often. Uh, so there was these crazy people, I'll call them. Okay, people that were kind of like grown up versions of me, uh, who who really resisted the system, but they had to live within it to help kids. These people were amazing and. I would say they bent the system to match my needs instead of bending me to match the system's needs. They found a way to let what I was good at be important. I started writing songs. I started playing at concerts. I started um, doing art, and I knew I was going to do something in the arts. I probably thought I was going to be a teacher because I wanted to give back. 
And to me, teachers were the best people I ever met. So I decided to become one. Well, no one in my family had ever graduated from 12th grade and gotten a diploma from high school the conventional way in living memory. So first thing I had to do was graduate from high school and then go to college, which no one, no honeycat had ever done. So imagine how hard it is to believe you can succeed. I mean, there you are in college. I'm the first honeycat to ever even think of going to college. And I went with my learning disabilities and I had no money. My mom, I'm sending her money from my work program, my work study program, because she needs money. So um, man, I was destitute through college and I was always, always, I had three jobs. But I got through, I got done, and I walked across the stage and got my diploma. And uh, man, I might as well have been on the moon because I didn't know how to live there. Understand, I know how to live in poverty. I know how to live in welfare. I know how to live in crazy places and dangerous places. I didn't know how to live uh, and be successful and have a career. That was foreign to me. Just going to a dinner party and not knowing which silverware to use. When do you use the outside fork? When do you use the inside fork? Why so much silverware? Why not just a fork? <laughs> we always had a fork, man. And so now suddenly I'm sitting across from, you know, a guy who's a knight, you know, he's Sir Ken. And he's, I'm watching him trying to copy what he's doing. And even now I'm 55 years old and I still don't know how to live among people, you know, who've made it. Now I'd say that in some ways I've made it, but I... You know, part of me doesn't want to know. Part of me wants to still keep my pedestrian street credentials because that's what wins me the audience every time. I don't want to ever believe that I've made it. I think that would be the that would ruin what I am, I think. It's crazy, I know. It probably sounds crazy, but that's how I feel. No, I think that's that's true. That's what makes it so so inspiring, right? You mentioned like the 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 idea and like the the being weird part. So, and in in my research to you know come up with with some of the questions, I I noticed that in one of your speaking engagements, you you told some teachers for them to bring their own weird, and mm -hmm. and you were saying that uh, what we do online needs to be more exaggerated to capture who we really are in the physical classroom, right? So I think we could also apply that to in-person settings too, and, and certainly not only for teachers, right? So what would you say to people that want to be more weird, to be more of themselves, but are afraid to do so? What do you think yeah. are pre preventing them and, and what are some things that they could possibly do? I think... Um... Perfect is the enemy of done. I think sometimes we worry so much about doing things perfectly, we never begin. There's a lot of students this way who are gifted and they won't risk a B. They only do what they're already good at. Therefore, they never learn anything new because they don't want to risk being mediocre. If you're going to learn something new, you're going to suck. You're going to suck for a while. If you're not willing to suck, you'll never be great. Most people live next door to their greatness. And they're afraid to walk over and knock on this door. They're comfortable over here. I was a teacher. I loved teaching. I didn't realize that 90% of what I did, I could do as a keynote speaker, but have a very different life. It was next door. I had to move out of this house and into this house. And it's scary because you don't know this house. You don't know this furniture. You don't know the light switches. You don't. 
but you'll have to move. You have to see. So first thing I want people to do is say, what are five things that you could be good at if you really, really wanted to? Right? And they'll write those okay. things down. And I'll say, if I offered you a million dollars to get really good at one of those things, would you do it? And you would say yes. And I would say, do it for free. If you could do it, you can do it. What's preventing you? Right. But most of us, we, we don't we don't step up to that moment. And I think what you got to do is realize you only get so many heartbeats and you're done and you don't know how, how many you get. I'm an old man. You're a young man, but you could be killed in a traffic accident tomorrow. You there's no guarantee. So why not do it now? Why not take the thing you really want? There you are at the university. You're pursuing something right now. Right. But even in that, you, you can start with an idea and say, maybe I should maybe I should do this. I know you thought you couldn't, but maybe you can. You know, most of us have in our house somewhere a guilty guitar or ukulele. We open the closet and there it is. We bought it. You said you were going to learn it. And there it is. <laughs> you close the closet and you leave that guilty thing in there. Well, it's not just guitars and ukuleles. It could be anything, architecture. It could be mathematics. It could be entrepreneurship. It could be design, building, creating music, whatever. Uh, but if I asked you to do an inventory and write down five things that you, you'd you like to do if you weren't afraid <laughs> or if you had a, enough money that you didn't have to worry, what would you do? And a lot of times your best success is living there, not in the safe place you've already planned. You know what I mean? It's tough. I, know. Totally. I don't want anyone to go bankrupt. I want – if you've got a job and you're paying the bills, I say let that job – Fund your dream, but don't quit that job because then you got nothing. <laughs> and then the pressure is on. You know, when you're under pressure, it's really hard to to build your dream because you've got to also buy food, you got to pay the bills. That pressure, especially these days, school costs so much for people your age. I don't know how you do it. It costs a lot when I was in school, but not like what it costs now. Uh, and I don't know how. I don't know how young people do it and, and, and try to hold on to their, their dreams. It's it's harder now, I think, than it was when I was younger. That's so powerful. You also have spent 13 years teaching K-12 students art, as you mentioned. So I'm curious to know what type of art and what did you learn from some of those interactions with um, the children and and how did you feel you know, when you were doing that? I love teaching. Um, I seem to have the weird kids, the different kids, the unicorns came to my room and I love teaching them. I'll show you another piece of my art. So you kind of have an idea is there's all kinds of things down here. This is a sculpture. Oh, wow. um, this was inspired by uh, an artist named Louise Nevelson. Um, and I draw, I mean, I always sketch and I do pictures. I do a lot with pencil these days. I do, I did a lot with ceramics and clay a sculpture but now like i'll show you i have a seven-year-old and we build things like this this is from stuff from the cabinet these are like pop bottle caps on the bottom of the lunar lander that's just stuff that we find that we build and so these days i do a lot on the computer a lot with uh, 3d printing and then i've got my seven-year-old he has an etsy store so he creates and sells online and i'm um, working on financial literacy with him so that he um kind of grows up knowing how to take his art and turn it into a product. So like with this 3D scanner, we'll make something out of clay. We'll scan it, wireframe it on that machine, and print it on this machine. 
and sell it online. So that's really I cool. I don't think I've ever seen such thing before. So this oh, is the really? first time. Well, these are all consumer level, not way expensive. Four hundred dollars, seven hundred dollars. You know, a PC. Now you can go because people would say, "Well, you know, I want to be a classical artist. I want to make things out of clay," which is cute. You can sell one because you've got one. But if I can scan it and I can print it, I can sell ten thousand units this quarter. So would you rather sell one or 10,000? And I can go online now to a, a, a website called shapeways.com where you can turn your vinyl product, his little, let's see, this is a seven-year-old, right? This is one of his, his pendant people. Oh, wow. He drew this with his little, his little stylus and he prints it. Now, each one is one of a kind. And then he put, puts it on a little necklace for you and ships it to you. But... If we go to shapeways.com and upload this file, we can print this in gold, silver, bronze, plastic, pewter, glass, 30 different materials, and ships worldwide. So now seven-year-old has worldwide distribution. It's not a joke anymore. It's cute at first, and now suddenly he's <laughs> like a global entrepreneur, right? Damn, yeah, that's fun. what I was going to say. You're actually like teaching like your, your son by, by doing, right? So you, you teach him and he, he practices entrepreneurship at like such an early age. That is something that I, I think everyone would be better off if they had some sort of, you know, initiative. He thinks every kid gets to do this. See, I can't just send him to us. You know, China, the country of China, recently made a decision to put a 3D printer in every classroom in China. And we are thinking about getting one for the school district. One, we're about to get our butt handed to us because they're they're doubling down on making kids designers, creators, and entrepreneurs, and we're still doing worksheets. What the heck? So to me, I want him to know that he can do anything he decides to do, and we can do it with stuff that doesn't cost a million dollars, you know, whatever that looks like. So I, yes, I want him online. I want him selling. I want him making. I want him creating. These are his invoices. So these are all his sales. And he is proud. We don't throw away any of these because this is this is his thing, man. This is his store, Gadgets by Gibson. Um, and How old is your son? Seven. Oh, wow. <laughs> so how do I send him to a school where they're doing PowerPoint as technology? There are classes like this where you learn Word and PowerPoint and Excel, and they think that they've taught technology. Those are just the base level skills. That's like teaching the pencil. You're not done. Now what are you going to do with the technology? So I'll give you another one. We play piano. We do a lot with music. So he's already playing piano. I named him Gibson after the guitar. So we've got all these guitars and all this musical instrument stuff here, and we record. So we record. We go to a website called TuneCore. TuneCore.com, listeners out there. So let's pretend that you recorded, let's say, you, Steph, you recorded an audio book, and it's really pretty good. So you okay. sit down with your computer and you record it. You, get, you, you turn that into a, a file. Then you go to TuneCore.com and you publish it for $9.99. It comes out on every recorder. So I can go to an Alexa and say, Alexa, play Extraordinary Minds by uh, Stefano. And suddenly it's playing in my house right now, right? And you get a little bit of money because it's streaming. <laughs> but not just that. I can buy it as an audio book. You can do that tonight for $9.99. And you will have global distribution. So we have a song out there. If you say, if you say, Alexa, play Cow Cow um, by Kevin Honeycutt. 
That's a song that me and my seven-year-old created together called Cow, 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 Look, There's Cow. And so <laughs> I can play it for you right now. So anyone that has an Alexa, try that out and see. Now, the first time my kid heard himself singing on the Alexa, he said, oh, my God, I'm famous. Just no one knows it yet. <laughs> it <was> so <laughs> but now, he, now he's got That's incredible. Go so many different look. things you're, like, teaching uh, in such a different way. Uh, how do you achieve that in preparing your content for like your speaking engagements and how do you also innovate at the same time uh, while you also have like so many different things that you're talking about, right? So do you have any shortcuts for like learning a specific topic faster? How do you do it? Here's my secret way. Don't talk about anything you haven't actually done. Number one. Number two, pick something you love anyway. I'm a musician. I want to do music. So I also want to publish music. So I started looking. I'm also connected. Why am I connected to so many people on Twitter, Instagram? I'm probably connected daily to 100,000 other minds. So imagine that now. So now I say on Instagram, forward to Facebook, forward to Twitter, go over and even on LinkedIn say it. Does anyone know a great site where my where I can publish my own music without going to Nashville, Memphis, or LA? Someone says tunecore.com. I go there. By the time I go to sleep that night, I already have a song published. I have album art. It's coming out. It's going to drop everywhere in four days. I go on social media and say, can't wait for everyone to hear Cow Cow by Loose Tooth, me and my kid. And I show them a picture. So I'm pre-buzzing the song now, pre-buzzing. And they're all mm -hmm. like, oh, I can't wait till it comes out because these people are already fans, you know, fans and they follow. So they right. want support. Well, for 99 cents, they can buy the song on iTunes. That's nothing. And I can watch my, my stats, right? I can watch my Google stats. I can watch my stats, my spreadsheets, my quarterly profit statements on TuneCore. And I can see what that first push got me. So we made okay. 100 sales on the first push, right? And we were just pre-buzzing. So what happens when we do it again, 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 again? What happens when we add two more songs? So I'm a big fan of pre-buzzing what you're already working on. So let's say that you have an audiobook; it's It's already out, but no one knows it. Don't tell them it's out. Go back in time in your mind and say, hey, putting out a chapter of my audiobook. Let me know if you like it. I'm thinking about publishing. What are we doing mm -hmm. there? I'm getting people to go, I love that chapter. People want to feel like they were there when it happened. You've already got it out there. See, I'm not going to follow your car. I want to be there when you got in the car. So slow down with the, with the promotion, right? Whatever you're doing, just slow it down a little bit and let people catch up. And then let's say, Steph, that you've got this other author that you like. Let's say it's um, – who's our guy you were just talking about? Trevor Noah? Yes. So or let's say Trevor yeah. wrote a book, and your book is loosely based on a similar theme. Loosely. Okay. And you're on Twitter and you say, oh, so excited to put out the first chapter of my book. It's probably nothing. But hey, at Trevor Nova, uh, Trevor, Trevor Noah, I, I would be honored if you even glanced at it, link. And then mm. hashtag Trevor rocks. Trevor's, Trevor's my hero. Look up to Trevor, whatever. <laughs> and I know he knows you're going after him. I know, but why not? Why not? Because if he retweets that, you're going to sell a million of them. Or oh, you wow. could say yeah. it depends on if you leverage or not, right? But you don't just do that. You go and say, look for 10 other authors that have work like yours that already have a million plus listeners or subscribers. And you hit them. Basically, and you tell them humbly, I'm young. I, I'm a fan. 
I just want what, you know, I want to be like you. Most people that are getting older, we want to help someone like that. We hear that voice. We want to help. If we go to your social media and you're not a total jerk and you're not a racist and you're not a, then I will retweet that. But if I go there and find that you're a jerk, I don't care how good your work is. I will not help you because you're, you know, your reputation steps on mine. But if you're just a young kid with a dream, I'm always going to help that. So I teach that. Whatever mm-hmm. you're building, whatever you're making, somewhere in the world, there's someone already making a lot of money and has lots of success. So go find them. Learn from them. They're tweeting every day. They're Instagramming every day. They're TikToking every day. Watch this stuff and ask yourself other questions. Don't be a consumer. Be a learner. What are they doing and why and how? Can I do what they're doing? I have a TikTok channel. It's not great, but I'm moving all my media over to TikTok. Why? You want to be on the train people are are riding on. You know, you can be on a covered wagon. That's great. Most of those people aren't customers, but you got to move. You got to keep moving. Right, yeah. Whatever that thing is you want to learn. Number one, go ask yourself, can I really do this? Look, if you're tone deaf, you're not going to be a singer. You're not going to win on The Voice or American Idol. If you're tone deaf, you're probably going to write songs. And that's okay. Write songs that other people sing. That's fine. But if you got to be hardcore on your dream and it's got to be this, if even though you can't, you're stuck. You're not going anywhere. So pick something you can actually do and that you'll put lots of time into because it takes a long time to get great at something. With speaking, man, I spoke. I got a video on my website. If you click it, it's, it's, it's I think it's called I've Been Everywhere. It's a list of about 75% of the cities I've been to in my career. And it goes by like this really fast. So if you watch that, you'll go, oh, my God, Kevin's been everywhere. (laughs) Well, the road teaches you. If it doesn't kill you, it will teach you if you allow yourself to be taught. And I've learned from all the hours of doing. So I guess pick something that you can do that you won't get bored about. Don't give up if it doesn't work in one year. Good God, it takes a while. Go find the people you admire that are already doing it. Connect with them. Connect with them on social media. I'm I'm not political. I'm apolitical because I, I you know I want everyone's money. Um, and if I claim <laughs> if you claim one side, you lose the other. Full honesty. <laughs> well, I'll tell you if we're drinking in a bar, I'll tell you what I think. But if I'm on social media and it's my career, I'm a little more careful, right? So um, yeah, no, I have strong feelings, but I think where business collides with politics. You can make some. You can step in the wrong place. I think pretty easily. And these days, it's totally. very easy to be wrong. Totally. Yeah, Kevin, um, you touched on the travel part, right? So you've traveled to many different cities in the states and also traveled the world, uh, mm-hmm. sharing your ideas, right? So, is there a particular interaction that you had that was really interesting, or something that was really impactful to you at some point in your career? I was at a, a tech ed conference in Barcelona and I got to work with students all day. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are 16, 17, 18, 18 year old. Uh, they're going to be scientists. They're going to be engineers. They're going to be musicians. Uh, and the energy of those kids and the vibrancy of their thoughts and ideas. And I let them all play my steampunk guitar. Oh, they rocked it. Some of these kids, <laughs> one girl just shredded it. It's all on you, my YouTube channel. Um, but I was inspired. I'm inspired by this next generation and I want them to be fearless because they're going to have to be. 
if you start thinking about all the ways things won't work, you will never do anything. I like kids when they don't know they don't know. You know what I mean? Right. I think that's what it takes. You know, Edison didn't know that you can't put electricity in every house. Um, you know, Einstein didn't know, you know, that, that his theories were true at the time. He thought they were, right? But he didn't know he couldn't. Therefore, he did. That's invention. That's, That's a, it's, a, it's very powerful, right? I was actually Alafia Master was who actually like uh, suggested uh, talking to you. So I'm glad she did mention you. So in, in our conversation, we were talking about how, uh, you know, being naive as a kid is actually something that it's so powerful because you don't know uh, if you're like going to be, um, you just like, you don't know if people are going to laugh at you. You don't know if you're doing things right or wrong way. You just try. And, and, and there's, uh, there's like a beauty to that, I think. Right. Mm -hmm. You were talking about important tips or tricks and things like that. I think you just touched on one right there. I think, um, bravery, the bravery to, to go ahead and try it, you know, and sometimes that's a lack of fear. Bravery can be on purpose or it can just be a lack of fear. I think you got to raise kids in a way that they're not afraid to fail. And they understand that failure is one more step towards success. I think what they say was Edison. I don't know if he had a thousand versions of the light bulb before one worked. The filament kept burning out. There was too much oxygen inside the glass bulb. That's why they finally had to remove all the oxygen or at least as much as they could. So the filament lasted longer and then it stayed on. And then they found out that if they put just the right mixture of gases in there, the light would last. They could control how long it lasts. That way you have to buy another one sometime. The problem with the first light bulbs that worked is they kept working and they didn't break. So they had interesting. It's a thing called designed obsolescence. Most refrigerators you buy today, they cost, you know, side by sides, $1,200. Um, they last seven years, almost always exactly seven years. They're designed to quit after seven years. So you have to buy another one. I hate that. But it's something people do, you know. I don't know why I inserted that. I think it's because I'm buying a fridge right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's been this, the seven years are already gone, I guess, then for your yeah. first fridge. Exactly. Your past mm -hmm. one. Yeah. yeah. Kevin, thank you so much for, for taking mm -hmm. the time. I really enjoyed talking to you and, and getting to know more about the work you've been doing and all the, the creations, innovations, and inspiration that you have been giving people, right? So thank you so much again for, for taking the time. Let me know what I can do uh, to help you. And let me know, like, when you have a link, let me retweet that. Let me reshare that. Let me put that out uh, and help with that, too. Um, I'm here. I'm a phone call away and you're in my role. You're in my network now. So Alefia, she was, she's never steers me wrong. She always sends really great people to me, too. So I believe in networking. She's a good one. She is an amazing connection. I got a bunch more. And so let's keep talking. Are we connected on Instagram? I'm Kevin Honeycutt everywhere. So at Kevin Honeycutt. Uh, I'll make sure I'll add those to, to the description so people can, awesome. can also follow you. Sounds great. All right, man. Yeah. Thank you Thanks. so much. And uh, have a good rest of your day. And enjoy your, your, your trips for the next few days as well. Keep rocking, my new friend. We'll see you. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening until the end. If you have any friends that you believe would 
benefit from listening to these conversations, I would really appreciate if you can give it a share. And we also have a new Instagram account. So go follow us at The Y Show. I'm also going to leave all the links in the description if you want to follow Kevin and the Instagram account. Thank you for listening and see you next time.